this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitramelides, joined as ever by Sydney, who is hiding in the conference room of a hotel somewhere in Granada. Hello, Sydney. <laughs> Hello, Phil. It's very dark in here and also very warm, but at least it's quiet. Quiet, perhaps a little bit echoey. Uh, you were under attack from enormously powerful and loud air conditioning where you previously were, so now you've moved into this dark, warm, echoey room. Uh, hopefully you'll survive long enough to get this week's podcast out for the dear listeners. Um, this is what happened on match day nine, Friday night, saw Athletic Club beat Almeria by three goals to nil. Almeria stay at bottom of the table. Uh, they're winless and they're in all sorts of trouble, uh, but they have appointed Gaithka Garitano as their new manager, the former boss of Athletic Club and Eibar. On Saturday, Girona continued their excellent start to the season. They're second in the table. They won 1-0 away at Cadiz. Real Madrid beat Osasuna by four goals to nil at the Bernabeu. Obviously, Jude Bellingham scored two goals, two very, very good goals. Mallorca and Valencia played out a 1-1 draw and Sevilla scored a 97th minute equaliser at home against Raya Vallecano. It finished 2-2. It wasn't enough to save José Luis Mendilibar, who has been sacked as manager of Sevilla. More on that in just a moment. Uh, then on Sunday, uh, Las Palmas beat Villarreal by two goals to one at the Estadio de la Ceramica. The pressure mounting on new Villarreal boss Pacheta already. Atletico Madrid uh, scored late on, very late on, and in controversial circumstances to beat Real Sociedad by two goals to one at the Metropolitano. Uh, Celta Vigo uh, came from behind to draw 2-2 at home to Getafe, although the pressure is still very much on manager Rafa Benitez. Alaves and Betis played out a rather uninspiring 1-1 draw, and Granada drew 2-2 with Barcelona. They were 2-0 up, but Barca uh, scored twice uh, in the second half to uh, pick up a point from the Estadio Nuevo Los Carmenes. Uh, all the talking points from match day nine coming up in just a second. Before that, let me tell you that we've uh, got a busy week coming up over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Patrons are going to be getting a Q&A pod and a bonus pod as always. We'll also be re-releasing a new episode of TSFP Presents or Incon Cultural. We haven't quite decided which one yet. And we're hosting a Zoom call with some of our top-tier patrons tonight. So come and join us at four euros a month. It should be pretty good value. Uh, we'll get on to Sevilla in just a second and they're sacking, of course, Luis Mendilibar. But Sid, you are literally still in Granada. You were at the game uh, last night. So let's start off by talking about Granada 2, Barcelona 2. And start off by talking about the man who scored both goals for Granada, the brilliant... Brian Zaragoza. Now, uh, he'd been really good this season anyway, one of the most exciting electric players uh, in the division. But yesterday, he really announced himself to the world with uh, two excellent goals. The second one is, it's just staggeringly good. And someone on the radio was saying last night, we're going to be talking about this goal in 30 years. That Brian Zaragoza goal, what he did to Jules Koundé, it's it's a historic goal. Maybe that's a bit hyperbolic, but he was really bloody good, Sid. (laughs) <laughs> That's the way to do it, isn't it? Is it? You're right, there's, there's lots of hype, but it really was very, very good indeed. Um, there's a moment when he, he, he cuts back uh, across Conde and then goes back again the other way, and he seems to slightly hover over the ball. It's almost like he's kind of jumping across the ball rather than moving across the turf. And Conde genuinely, literally loses his footing. He looks like he's about to fall over. And in, in doing that cutback, 
Ter Stegen goes down as well. He effectively puts two players on the floor with a, with a, with a dummy um, and, then, and then finishes it with the outside of his right foot. It, it's just a brilliant goal. And it's not just about yesterday, but you're right. It's, yesterday is the announcement. It's the, it's the announcement of his arrival to the world. It's his fifth goal already this season for a guy who's only playing his first ever first division season. Someone who mm. didn't come through the academy of a big club. He, he didn't join Granada until he was 19. Somebody who, who really didn't, you know, didn't, wasn't known outside of Granada until last season and even, even until this season really last season in the second division he was a revelation he was brilliant in the final weeks of the season I mean you, you look at last night's goal and think wow this is amazing but go back and look at the goal he scored against Midandes last year or the goal he scored against Lugo last year and they're extraordinary as well there was oh, really? a moment and I, I can't for a life of me remember which game it was and, and I wish I could because I've been writing about it and I was trying to remember there's a, there's a moment this season when he scores what would or nearly scores what would be the goal you know, they're just the most amazing goal you've ever seen. And I think the shot either hits the post or goes just wide. And it's just absurd in week two or maybe three. Um, and he's just electric. He's, he's different to other players. And this was this is one of the things I think that makes him attractive is that actually he's not that academic um, for want of a tautology, academic academy player. He's not the player who's kind of precise and neat and tidy. He's a player who says, give me the ball and I'll run at people and I don't care who it is, I'm going to keep running at them. The statistics show, by the way, that he has attempted more dribbles than anyone in Europe's top five leagues this season. And by a very long way, he's well over 50. And I think the next highest is Leroy Sané at 30-something, 35, I think it is. Um, So, you know, he's a long, long way ahead. And no, he doesn't complete all of those. It's true, he doesn't complete all of those and he loses the ball a lot, but he makes so much happen and, and when the game is good, he's just... I mean, the bottom line is he's fun and that's supposed to be the point of this, isn't it? Uh, he is one of the most fun players in La Liga, without a shadow of a doubt. He um, he was on the bench for a, for a few games this season. I think he started six of, of nine. Yeah. Paco Lopez, the Granada manager, suggesting that... Um, Maybe it's because of his defensive work rate that uh, he might not necessarily fit into his system all the time and he needs to learn perhaps to, to track back a, a little bit and help out defensively. But he is a, a terrifically exciting player going forward and he certainly announced himself uh, on the on the world stage last night with those two goals against uh, Barcelona. Two goals against a Barcelona side who have now conceded 10 league goals this season. We're on match day nine. It took them until match day 31 last season before they conceded at 10 goals. So they're, they're clearly less solid than they were at last season. Sydney, you were there, you were pitch side, you saw it up close and personal. What did you make of this Barca performance? Funnily enough, I didn't think the performance was terrible. Um, I wouldn't go as far as Xavi did post-game and, and he was talking about a really good performance. He said, we used the ball well, we created lots of chances. I was very pleased with how we played. He said they played really well. Yeah, yeah. yeah he said he was very pleased. He, he, it was just that defensive failures. Um, now, obviously, the defensive failure, I mean, you can see it in them losing the ball for the first goal. They concede after 17 seconds, the fastest goal Granada have ever scored, the fastest goal Barcelona have ever conceded. Um, and, and that can be seen, if you like, as a kind of not being plugged in, not being, not being switched on when the game starts. The second goal, I don't really know if you can call that a defensive failing. It's a ball through the gap. And of course, Barcelona are playing a high line, so it runs that risk. But Koundé gets the, into that position. And it's just that he's up against mm. Brian Thadagotha, who does something brilliant. But the main reason why I don't fully agree with with Xavi is that I I thought the performance was okay I thought it was okay but I don't think they created really clear chances they created a handful of quite good chances but not really clear ones I felt in the first half that when they did create things it was Jao Felix and and Alejandro Balde and they went to the left a lot and I felt like it was a real waste 
to not get Lamine Yamal into the game more. And actually, I think there was one moment in which you could see Xavi essentially saying to them, give the ball to Lamal, who is, who is a, obviously a really, really talented player. And, and I suppose there's certain similarities between him and Brian Thadagotha. He's, he's a little bit more of a kind of dashing side player than Brian Thadagotha is. He's six years younger, see. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? And Brian Thadagotha's not old, he's 22. You know, this is a guy making his first, yeah. it's his first season in, in, in Primera. Um, and, and actually, Lamine Yamal wasn't able to have a huge impact on the game yesterday, despite scoring and becoming the youngest player ever to score in Barcelona's uh, history, in, in fact, in La Liga history. In La Liga? Yeah, because he, yeah. he overtook Fabrice Olonga, who actually didn't go on to do a huge amount. Um, but, but I thought Barcelona were okay, and I don't think this is a game where you go, God, this is a, a complete disaster for them. But you're right about that stability. And I think that stability is partly about trying to do different things, trying to play in a different way. I think inevitably you partly take a choice. And I think there was a period last year when they took the choice to, to solidify, to have an extra midfielder, to not maybe open the pitch out quite so much and, and therefore not be quite so exposed. I think, I think that's a big part of it. But I do also think there are some mistakes being made this year. And it's curious, of course, because they're doing it with, with Kunde now as a centre-back, or actually, where I actually think he's playing very well. But obviously the numbers are not as good. 16 years and 87 days old, uh, Lamin Yamal was when he scored uh, last night. The youngest ever player to score in La Liga. Actually, it was his final chance uh, to score and yeah, become was, the yeah. youngest ever uh, player to score in La Liga. So uh, he took it. Uh, congratulations to uh, Lamin Yamal. Also, by the way, congratulations to uh, uh, Brian Zaragoza. It may or may not be a coincidence that after his two goals, he was uh, called up to the Spain national team uh, to replace uh, Jeremy Pino for the uh, forthcoming uh, national team matches. So uh, so there we go. And we're going to move on because there's loads that we want to pack into this uh, uh, show. But if there are things that you want us to discuss, send us a question. Uh, we will deal with it on the Q&A podcast. Uh, Sevilla then sacking Jose Luis Mendilibar. They appointed him at the end of March. There were two points above the relegation zone. They sack him on the uh, 8th of October two points above the relegation zone. In between, he he led them to 12th place in the table and, of course, to the Europa League triumph in Budapest, which was really one of the most extraordinary stories that we've seen in football. In truth, Mendy should have gone then, shouldn't he? He should have gone in the summer with the yeah. most incredible mic drop of all time and just walked off into the sunset having achieved something extraordinary. But... Given his history working with Valladolid, Levante, Alaves, Osasuna, you can't begrudge him wanting to take charge of a big club, one of the biggest clubs in the in the country, and take charge of a project and see what he can do. So it's understandable why he stayed, but this season, eight points from a possible 24, and it was really quite noticeable what happened in that game against Rayo Vallecano when he took off Fernando Reyes, one of the Midfield generals, one of the veterans in that team, one of the pesos pesados, the heavyweights of the dressing room. He took him off after 37 minutes. Fernando walked off very angrily, shaking his head, wagging his finger at the manager and walked straight down into the uh, dressing room. He's made comments about Sergio Ramos as well, um, suggesting, this is Mendilibar, that he needs to learn how to play our way. That's the four-time Champions League winner and World Cup winner, Sergio Ramos. Needs to learn how to play our way. We don't play out from the back, so he needs, to, he needs to get used to all that. It just felt that maybe Mendy's style wasn't necessarily fitted to dealing with such a, a big dressing room of, of big personalities. I don't know. It worked last season, but it, it hasn't worked this season. 
Yeah, and I think it partly worked last season because, of course, context context is everything. Mm-hmm. And so you, last year you had a context of a load of players who really weren't happy with the manager they had. Now, I think the club was possibly a little bit too quick to sack Lokopetegi, but I think part of the problem is that they should have sacked him in the summer rather than waiting. And the same thing has happened now. You know, they, they've stuck with a manager that they weren't convinced by for all sorts of reasons, whether right or wrong. And when you're in that position where you're doing it for the wrong reasons, when you're, when you're not convinced by the decisions you're making, then I think it's inevitable, or, or at least very likely, that those decisions will end up being taken, just not at the point when you could have taken them in and could have dealt with them better. Last year, I think the context was that then you had Sampaoli come in and, and the players really couldn't be dealing with him. And, and, and actually, Mendelibar's kind of very direct approach was a breath of fresh air for them and a willingness to, to, to embrace him, not least because of the idea that they all knew this needs fixing. There is a target in front of us, this needs fixing, and this is a short-term thing. Now, dealing, playing with Mendelibar, both in terms of his footballing approach and also in terms of the way that he manages, and, and he's very, very direct, and he's very blunt, and he's very honest, and I personally quite like that, and I think as, as journalists we like it as well, and I think as fans we probably do, but with, with some players that's not always the best thing. In fairness, while Fernando Ridges had a go at him at the weekend, he said, I'd spoken to him and I've explained it to him and it's not about him, which he, you know, actually was slightly un like because you can't kind of imagine Mendelibar saying, well, you know, tough luck, I make the decision around him. <laughs> um, I, think, I think you're right, that, I think the Sergio Ramos thing, I just think maybe some of the limitations um, or, or some of the, the, the simplicity of the way that, that he approaches the game. Get the and ball out wide and much... cross it into the box? Yeah. I also think, exactly. I also think there's something a bit more basic in all of this, which is that Sevilla have problems. Mm-hmm. And Sevilla has, have structural problems. And they have problems um, of a slightly old team in key parts of the pitch. They have problems of, a, I think, a lack of clarity about what exactly it is they want to do. And I think last year they benefited from being given that clarity. So let's not mess around, let's do this. But then, of course, you start wanting more. And when you start from scratch, it's different. And it's almost, I think if you talk to Sevilla fans, most of them will tell you, they knew that winning the Europa League last year was a bit of a miracle. And they knew that although the team survived having been in relegation trouble, that that wasn't ushering in, okay, next season we go for fifth or sixth. They knew that we're still a team that eighth, ninth, maybe at best. And they still might get there, by the way. Um... But I think, I think they, they do have problems. And I think you have to ask big questions about the management of the club beyond, obviously, the squad and the manager as well. Who's going to be next into the Sevilla hot seat, the fourth manager in a year? Honestly, no idea. Um, yeah. I mean, they, last year they'd been, there had been some conversations with Andoni Adala. Um, it felt a little bit like, again, that they, they, they stuck with Mendelibar in part because they felt that they got no choice. And Mendelibar made that comment after the final. He said, if they weren't to renew me now, it would be La Leche. You know, this would be unreal if they didn't renew me now, <laughs> having done what we've done. And you're right, there's a bit of me that thinks you should have just walked out then. You should have said, ladies and gentlemen, I came here to do what I came to do. Here's Europa League. It's been a pleasure. See you later. But exactly as you say, how can you when you've had the career that he's mm. had and you're given the opportunity to be at a big club and you look at the squad and I don't know, I personally think he might have been mistaken on this, but you look at the squad and you think, actually, this squad can do something. Maybe not something amazing, but can do something. And it just didn't happen. Well, it's definitely the best squad he's ever had. I mean, I don't think there's too much squad. doubt about that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll see who's uh, the next manager of Sevilla, the 
names being mentioned, Marcelino uh, Garcia Torral, who's um, available and has previously been in charge of Sevilla. Marcelo Gallardo always seems to get mentioned uh, recently, but I think he's uh, it's going to be far too expensive for uh, Sevilla. So we'll see. We'll see who they uh, who they get in. Uh, you were also at the Bernabeu on Saturday afternoon, Sid. You and Al were there to uh, witness Real Madrid beat Osasuna 4-0. Ultimately, it was a, a pretty comfortable victory in the end for Los Blancos. Uh, Jude Bellingham scoring twice, 10 goals in his first 10 games for Real Madrid. It's really quite extraordinary. What was, I guess, I mean, you know, we've been talking about how good Jude Bellingham is basically all season on every podcast because he's more or less been given us reason to do so in every game even if he hasn't been at his best he's popped up and scored an important goal in more often more often than not these were two really good goals that he scored uh, this uh, this weekend perhaps the two best goals that he scored uh, for Real Madrid along with the magnificent uh, strike we saw in Napoli uh, but it's quite interesting to see that the first sort of Seven or eight goals were poachers finished in and around the six-yard area. Fox in the box, either a bouncing ball in the six-yard area, which he pokes home, or a header or something like that. And these two goals that he scores against Osasuna are really, really good finishes, but also moves. The first one is a brilliant move. The second one he kind of makes all of himself as well. So uh, nice to see Jude scoring different types of goals as well. And the kind of goals that I think we probably anticipated more from him. Um, which isn't to say that he should have scored more of these now. It's more to say that this is, tells us something about a slight change in the position. As you say, before it was the number 10 position, but it was really a false nine. It was right in the penalty area. Some of them are a genuine number nine goals. These are goals where he's getting the ball, running from deep, playing off teammates. And I think this tells you that, A, they're better goals just kind of aesthetically and in terms of how much is involved in them. But I think it tells you something about the understanding with the players around him as well. So, all right, the, the, the goal in, in, in Naples is not quite like that because it's him running on his own. But these two both require movement from him and movement mm. from other players and players that he's playing off. And, and I think that gives you an idea of, of the integration. It gives you an idea of the sense that it works collectively, not just individually. Um, and, and I think these are, both of these are really, really nice goals, both, both from his point of view and also from a team point of view. The first one's really nicely worked. I think it's four players involved. Uh, eventually it's dropped off to him and he, and he takes one step to come inside and then finishes. On the second one, he times the run really well and gets to return from Fede Valverde. And it's not actually a first-time return, it's a control-them return, which I actually personally think makes it even harder what Valverde does to, to then get the nudge pass through the gap dead right, the timing right, the finish is very clean. Um, and he is the best player in Spain by a considerable distance at the moment. Uh, he's on eight league goals at the moment, which is three ahead of, of the nearest uh, competitors. Lewandowski's on five, as is Kubo, Alvaro Morata, Joselu and Brian Zaragoza, who we've already talked about. So he's leading the way. And we're at the, we're at the quarter mark of the of the season. We played nine games, which is more or less uh, 25% through uh, of the season. Real Madrid are two points clear at the top of the table and Jude Bellingham's got eight goals. You were at the Bernabeu, you saw this 4-0 victory over uh, Osasuna. Um, what did you make of the game? Anything that stood out for you apart from Jude? Could be Real Madrid, could be Osasuna. General thoughts? Well, I mean, I thought Madrid played pretty well in the first half, uh, although it felt like one of those games that was going to be, for a long time, for about half an hour, it felt like one of those games that wasn't going to be very exciting because Madrid were just going to be 
a bit better and, mm. and you know, relatively comfortably win. Osasuna then made a couple of chances, missed a really, really good chance just before half-time, Budimir putting, mm. putting the ball over from, from pretty close range. And at that point, you thought, OK, maybe there is a game here. And then Madrid just pulled away from them second half. Osasuna played really poorly in the second half, surprisingly so. But I thought Madrid were, 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 were genuinely good. And in terms of picking up on, on, on particular players... Um, Schoemann playing at centre-back, I don't think that's going to happen very often. Let's not say he played badly, he was fine. Um, the, the player that stood out probably actually was Luka Modric, who having not played, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's three games in a row, isn't it, that I think he hadn't played. Um, and he took control of the game and, and moved the ball really, really nicely and I, I thought played very well indeed. It was probably a and good game Vinicius. for Luka Modric as well. It probably was. And then Vinicius, because of course Vinicius had come up the back of an injury um, and the goal that he scores, he takes really well. I think on the face of it, you can look at it and say, well, that's relatively simple. It's a ball through the gap. He runs onto it. But the, 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 the weight on his control, his, what the Spanish was referred to as an oriented control, you know, he controls mm. it and puts it into his path at the same time, is perfect. He then takes it very, very smoothly around the keeper to finish. I think it's a really good goal. But it's his assist for Joselu that really stands out for me. And he's playing almost as a back-to-goal number nine. Brings it down from height, holds onto it, waits for just the right time to release to José Lu. I was really, really impressed by that. Good. So there we go. Uh, your thoughts from uh, uh, the game at the uh, Bernabeu. On to what happened at the uh, Metropolitano, where uh, Atletico Madrid uh, were pushed all the way by Real Sociedad, but a uh, late and controversial penalty, uh, which was dispatched by Antoine Griezmann, giving Atletico Madrid... All three points, a fifth consecutive victory in all competitions. They are at five points behind leaders, Real Madrid, having played a game fewer. Are we genuinely thinking that they're going to be there or thereabouts when it comes to uh, the title? Um, I think they should be. Because you say it's, it's, it's five points uh, if they win the game in hand, which no guarantee that they will, of course. It's against Sevilla, so in theory that's a difficult one. Although let's see who Sevilla's manager is and what kind of state they're in and all those kind of things. Uh, but it, the, the fact that it's five games in a row, the fact I actually think they look defensively a little bit weak in this game. And I, and I thought they were a little bit fortunate to, to get away with a victory. You know, they, they, there's a Real Sociedad goal disallowed. Uh, sorry, no, there's a Real Sociedad penalty that they want, which, which they're not given. And then Atletico Madrid get given a penalty for uh, what's been described as the same handball I, I, I just don't buy that I don't think they're the same action at all I mean I don't even think they're mm-hmm. even close to be honest but, but that's, that's another issue for another day I suppose um, and I think they are creating more they're making more happen there's a quite nice line from Simeone Simeone who used to always basically turn and run down the tunnel at the full-time whistle, straight away, and not shake, always, and not shake, always. not shake hands with the other manager. Remember, this caused a bit of a stir in England because they they said, "Oh, he snubbed Jurgen Klopp," and I kept trying to say to people, "No, it's just what he does. He does it all the time." And, and, and if it is a snub, then it's a snub on virtually every manager he plays against. Very rare that he stays. He's actually staying to the final whistle a bit more often this year. Now, partly I suppose it's because the game. Well, the final whistle, but beyond the final whistle, the game is maybe that more, bit more emotional. Maybe he wants to embrace the players more. But he said post-game, he said, well, I'm enjoying it more this year. I'm enjoying watching it more. So sort of hanging around and seeing the players at the end. They are more fun to watch. They are making more happen. Um, I wonder if there might come a point in the season, because we've seen this process before, of course, where they think, oof, we need to tighten up because we're conceding too many. Um, because as I say, I thought they actually looked a little bit defensively vulnerable in this game. But yes, maybe, maybe they will compete for the title. One or two big injuries would really hurt them. If they were to lose Griezmann at any point, I think the damage of that... I mean, they've would... had a lot of injuries already, Sid. Yeah, they have, and they've mostly come through them. Loads. Yeah, they have mostly come through them, although they've still got them. What I mean is they've come through them in terms of results because they've actually still got players out. But I just don't know if they overcome an injury to Griezmann. 
Well, indeed. Which isn't to say it'll happen, by the way. Yeah. He could well be all se- go all season without a major injury. Yes. Well, hoping, hoping that he will, uh, because he's uh, one of the best players in the world and certainly an absolute joy to watch. A word then about the uh, latest appointment in La Liga, Gaisca Garitano, who is uh, in charge of Almeria, who are bottom of the table, the only winless team in the division. They're conceding more or less on average three goals a game. It's looking uh, pretty bad for them already. They're five points from safety, which is not an insurmountable uh, challenge by any stretch of the imagination. But we worried about Almeria at the start of the season. I think we both tipped them to get relegated. They've had a terrible, terrible start. They've brought in uh, Garitano. Um, what do you think is going to happen here? Well, I mean, I, I imagine, because this tends to be what happens and, and obviously the pieces fit, that they've looked at what exactly what you just said, conceding lots of goals, uh, defensively not very weak, and they thought, right, well, Garitano is a manager who will sort that out. Now, again, to insist on this point, I think that sometimes what happens is that it's about context. And so you, you, you see this and you think, right, that's what we're going to fix. That's what we're going to go for. But the, in part, it's a choice. And so it's not always that you do defend badly and here's the guy that will sort us out defensively. It's more that you defend in a way because your, your choices are about attacking, your choices are about um, a balance, and then you bring another manager in who puts the balance on the defence. And of course, what that runs the risk of doing is tipping the balance too far. Let's go to Rafa Benitez's favourite analogy of the short blanket. You've got a choice, feet or head. And, and, and I, I don't know for sure if this will... I, I, in fact, I, I, some, there's a bit of me, to be honest, that doubts that this will be what sorts them out. Feet for me every time, Sid, you know. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, rather, to be honest... I'd rather cover yeah, my sleep, feet than my head, if, yeah. Well, and actually covering your head is, is, is not that fun, is it? You, you just no, it'd be rather hot unpleasant. And you, yeah. you can't really breathe properly, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely feet in, in, in that context. Uh, let's see if uh, uh, Gary Garitano will, uh, will help at Almeria. Sydney, uh, as we delve into the Segunda, you went to see two of your heroes this weekend, Santi Cazorla and Super Pepino. <laughs> Oviedo drawing nil-nil at Leganes. <laughs> oh, Super Pepino, what, what a genius. I mean, you did see them both, didn't I you? I did see them both, yeah. <laughs> I was very pleased yes. to see them. Oviedo actually played a bit of football. Uh, things are definitely looking up. Although this was a nil-nil draw, Oviedo looked... Tell us different. about Santi. Well, Santi, Santi and Victor Camarasa, who's been um, out for, I think, about three weeks um, with mental health issues, and they've been trying... I actually think Oviedo handled this very, very well in terms of protecting him, looking after him, saying that you take the time that you need, you come back when you're ready. And it was, so it was really nice to see the two of them come on together. And, and actually, in purely footballing terms as well, they started having a bit of the ball and playing a bit of football and, and, and Oviedo had already done that a little bit. Seoani played very well in the middle of midfield but, but it's just lovely to watch them two play. Uh, Cathodler, is he just miles better than everyone else or is he more or less, you know, sort of, this he, is his level at the moment. Was, yeah, he's 38. I, I, no, I would say, I would say that him and, him and Camadasa really stood out in this game okay. but the game that, re- that really did that was in midweek against Wesca. Cathodler came on for 24 minutes and was just unbelievable. And, and it really was a case of saying, wow, he's too good for everyone else. He might not be able to run anymore, but it was get the ball and spray it around. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I watched the, the 24 minutes that he was on the pitch back, 24 attempted passes, 23 of them completed, most of them kind of 30-yard diagonals. Um, it, was, it was really quite something. Uh, forgive us for the uh, self-indulgent Oviedo chat, but it's our podcast and we can talk about what we like, Sydney. Because we don't have anyone else telling us what we have to talk about. We can decide. So if we want to spend... We do what we, we like. Spend, we, do. we do what we like. TSFB. 
We do what we. If we, we want to talk about well. Oviedo for twenty five minutes, we will. No one will listen, but we will bloody do it. That's anyway, true. That'll turn off. It'll turn off. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. We won't do that. I promise we won't. Um, just to let you know what else happened in the Segunda, Tenerife are top at the time of recording on twenty one points. They beat Burgos two one. Espanyol could go above them tonight. They play away at Villarreal B. Uh, by the way, shout out to um, to Celta Vigo's B team who won the current Galician derby. I say current because Deportivo La Coruña are still in the third tier of Spanish football and rather degrading for them is that the derby is against Celta's B team. And Celta beat Depor. Celta B beat Depor 1-0 at Riazor in front of 25,000 fans. So if you think you had a bad weekend, animo, animo to all the Deportivo La Coruña fans who lost that derby to Celta's B team. Not for the first time, I don't think, as well. It's happened before in, no. the, in the last few years. But that must be... That, I mean, that, I can't I've imagine many it. worse things. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because, of course, when, when, when Oviedo were down in Segunda Bay, yes. they, they occasionally played against Sporting's B team. Yeah. Oh, and, and, I've, I, and I've been there and seen us play Sporting B and lose. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is really rubbish, man. Yeah, well... It is, anymore, yeah. anymore to all the... Uh, Depot fans uh, who, who saw that uh, ignominy. Uh, there's no La Liga football this week, obviously, because we've got national teams in action. And on Thursday, we've got Spain against Scotland in the Euro qualifiers and then Norway against Spain on Sunday. Uh, are you heading to the game on Thursday, Sydney? I am indeed, yes. Remind me where it is? In Seville, at La Catuja. Oh, what a wonderful cathedral of Spanish football. Great place for, for, uh, for a football match. <laughs> Great city, not a great, great stadium. Great city, <laughs> desperately underwhelming stadium. Anyway, uh, you're going to La Cartuja. You're not going to to Norway, right? I am not going to Norway. No, I might. Uh, no. you know, I, I, I might be going to Asturias to see Oviedo play on Friday night. They're up against Albacete, right? So yeah. Obviously, obviously, yeah. if you can uh, wangle your way up to Asturias, you absolutely will. Uh, that's it for this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast, amigos. Thanks very much uh, for joining us. Remember, uh, we're answering your questions at patreon.com. There'll be a bonus pod uh, talking everything that's going on this week, plus the Spain national team. And there's a new episode of TSFP Presents or Rincón Cultural uh, coming out. We haven't quite decided yet. So come and join us. It's only four euros a month. If you don't want to spend that money, it's okay. There'll be another free podcast for you next Monday. Adios. Cheerio. Cheerio.